You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 321. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. While we have done so many interviews about thyroid issues, they've mostly been educational, which is great and necessary. And we've had free downloads with some episodes and we've had Really smart people talk through exactly what you need to know about your labs and what should be pulled and what that means. What I realized, though, is that so many people have follow-up questions and just need to talk to someone. So today's episode is going to be with my dear friend, Elena Haber. She is well-known in the AIP community for her amazing recipes and her personal experience managing her own thyroid disease holistically. She's worked with a lot of doctors and done a lot of research. Some of you know that my husband was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's two years ago. So she's actually the one that I go to when I have questions. I'm excited to talk through all of the questions we got from you all today. There was a lot. So this may need to be a two-part episode, but we'll get to as many as possible. And hopefully this will feel like you know, a much needed coffee date with two of us who have been there and totally have your back. So before I bring her on, please listen up if you have leaky gut. Do you see what I did there? Listen up if you have leaky gut. Uh, if you struggled with leaky gut or have a history of antibiotic use or have taken them recently, there's a new gut repair supplement from Bioptimizers that's a game changer. Supplements are a great way to boost nutrients when your body is deficient, and it's also great for helping your body heal when you've experienced chronic illness or inflammation. Leaky Gut Guardian is a new supplement powder from Bioptimizers that contains powerful probiotics and prebiotics, and it also includes a new one-of-a-kind ingredient called IGY Max. IGY Max is actually an egg-based protein that enhances gut health. It um, has been found to reverse damage caused by antibiotics, and it can even help with immunity threats. By taking it daily, you can eliminate the bad bacteria and feed your good bacteria, and it can help to support um, repairing your gut lining and therefore building up your immunity. It's great for people who are experiencing leaky gut or may have and just want to further repair their gut with key nutrients. Leaky Gut Guardian comes in two delicious flavors, vegetarian vanilla, and then the chocolate carnivore is an enhanced formula that includes collagen and bone broth. It is a powder, so you just add it to like smoothies or water or coffee. So it's a it, it mixes great. It's not like hard to mix and it actually tastes really good. So try it out and see how it works for you by going to leakygutguardian.com slash wellfed. That's leakygutguardian. So G-U-A-R-D-G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N.com slash wellfed. I don't know why guardian is a hard word for me to spell, but don't forget that you because I have in the past and I'm like, why is this website like not working? There's a U there before the A. Uh, slash well-feds. That's W-E-L-L-F-E-D. Bioptimizers is backed by research. It's ex- expertly formulated. And if it doesn't work for you, they have a generous 365-day money-back guarantee. Again, leakygutguardian.com slash well-fed. And then our coupon code is wellfed10. You get 10% off your order. And then you can also use that code on bioptimizers.com. 
Um, if you want to buy other stuff, like one of the products my husband and I take daily is the uh, Magnesium Breakthrough. So if you want to buy specifically from bioptimizers.com, then you can just add the code WELLFED10. Now, let me bring on Elena. Elena Haber is a cookbook author, occupational therapist, and mom of two, passionate about healing chronic illness and infertility while educating on lower toxic living. Elena has been empowering the autoimmune disease community with healing recipes and lifestyle tips for seven years. You can find her print cookbook, The Healing Kitchen, which I'll link to in the show notes. It's a collection of nearly 200 grain-free recipes on Amazon and at most major bookstores. 500 uh, of find hundreds of free recipes on our website, grazedandenthused.com, as well as free non-toxic home guides to download. Elena is also a dear friend of mine. She and I actually talk, talk daily about pretty much everything under the sun. So I'm excited to have her on here. Welcome, Elena. Hi, Noelle. Thank you for having me back. I'm flattered. Yeah, I forgot to mention, this is like the second time that you've done this. The first time you were here, which I, I think maybe not everybody listened to, it was part of our postpartum health series. And you specifically talked about how to manage postpartum thyroid issues and how to even manage it during your pregnancy, which is a whole kind of confusing topic, I know, for a lot of women. So today... Hopefully, a lot of people are um, more people are able to listen to you because this is just going to be a general thyroid question and answer. And selfishly, I was like, I I think you need to come on because I have some questions to ask you. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing this for me and and for everybody in the community. Well, thank you for reminding me what the previous podcast was about because I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are we talking about the same thing we did last time? Okay, yeah. no, good. <laughs> Um, so I was kind of poking around your new website, which it's lovely. I think the last time I had, we've been, of course, talking about website drama for years, but like your website has gotten a little bit of a facelift and I really like it. And then I also realized, I don't know where grazed and enthused came from. Why did you choose that name? I, okay. So my favorite, one of my favorite movies is Dazed and Confused. And it came from that. I was just thinking, I was on an airplane flying to Florida. I'm like, I'm going to start a blog. I was in my master's program for occupational therapy, and I wanted to do something a little bit more holistic health focused in my free time. So I was like, I'm going to start a blog. I want to help people with autoimmune disease. I'm new to this kind of AIP autoimmune protocol lifestyle, and I want to share my journey with other women that are going through that. And the best way to reach other women going through that is through the internet. So that's why I started my blog. And I was watching Dazed and Confused on the airplane, and I was like, ah, grazed, like a cow grazing, because the a big focus of um, the autoimmune protocol is well-sourced animal protein. So I was thinking grazed, like, cat, like a cow's grazing in grass, and then enthused so that people would be excited about trying a alternative style of eating to help heal their autoimmune disease, because I know elimination diets uh, have a you know, a mental, emotional component to them that can be kind of tricky. So it was just kind of a fun play on words, but it also Mm -hmm. slightly makes no sense at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It does, though. I don't think many names don't. And you know what? The the website uh, domain was probably, what, 12 bucks or 10 bucks. So that's like a huge win. (laughs) So now finding a website address nowadays is like so painful. So um why did you, I, you know, and I was even kind of thinking back on this because we weren't friends. I mean, I'm, we were maybe like we would have been, but we weren't friends when we both were starting our blogs. So what made you like decide to kind of 
start sharing your experience on the internet? Because that's kind of an interesting jump. And like, what turned you on to holistic health, specifically when it comes to like treating your Hashimoto's? Because a lot of people just go to an endocrinologist, take medication and not really think any more about it. But what made you say, huh, I'm, I want to I want to fix this in a different way? You know what? I was I was diagnosed at 19 years old, which is like 19 year olds are like children, basically. I know we're, you know, a voting age, but like looking back now, that was um, more than 13 years ago. And I didn't know much about health at all. I'd only heard of the thyroid the week I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I'd never even heard of that gland before. But I did know that if I was going to be putting supplemental thyroid hormone in my body that was synthetic, uh, that then I needed to support the natural processes in my body to make sure that the disease process didn't worsen or progress or turn into another autoimmune disease. Um, my mom purchased me the book Stop the Thyroid Madness, and this was back in 2008 or 2009. So I don't even know if paleo was well established by that point or a grain free eating lifestyle. I certainly hadn't heard of AIP. Uh, a lot of people you know, hadn't really been talking about autoimmune disease in the holistic health space. And blogs were just taking off at that point too, you know, in the past five years or so. So I didn't have that many places to turn, but this book really helped set the stage for me as a young woman being diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune illness, that there are things that are in my control that I can do to help versus when I went to the traditional endocrinologist told me there's nothing you can do to help. You just have to kind of sit back and watch this disease progress in your body and medicate it. Hmm. So I didn't like that answer because I'm a little bit of a control freak and I'm also a, re a rebel. So I have this rebellious tendency that when authority tells me something, I will tell them something else back. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't believe you. I think I can treat this. And I ended up, while I am on medication for my thyroid disease, Hashimoto's, I ended up actually really healing and putting myself into remission and reversing infertility nearly on my own through my own research, through my own dietary and lifestyle interventions. So I mm. wanted to share all that because as a, I think I was maybe 25 years old when I started my blog, I'm in uh, my master's for occupational therapy. And I just slowly started connecting with other young women who were diagnosed with autoimmune disease and did not know anything about the disease process nor how to support their bodies. So I figured if, all, if I'm coming across these people in real life, then there must be a lot more people out there that need to hear this information. And it turns out that there were. Um, autoimmune disease is very, very common. It's estimated about 50 million Americans have some form of autoimmune disease and Hashimoto's is the most common autoimmune disease. Uh, the medication Synthroid is usually up there in the top uh, second or third most prescribed drug in America. So this is a, a disease process that affects millions and millions of people. So it's something mm -hmm. that we really need to be educating on, um, approaching it from not just a pharmaceutical perspective. When you got a diagnosis from your endocrinologist, did they tell you right away? Did they do a full thyroid panel? And that if, did you know right away that you had Hashimoto's or was it just, oh, you have a hypothyroidism? It was such an acute case of uh, thyroiditis caused by an environmental trigger that I am fortunate I was very quickly diagnosed with Hashimoto's. My my thyroid went from healthy to very unhealthy in a matter of about a week because of an environmental toxin exposure. So I'm in the fortunate camp of people that got a relatively easy and quick diagnosis. I remember TSH being on that first panel and antibodies. Um, so mm. antibodies are typically what are used to diagnose 
an autoimmune disease process of the thyroid, um, either Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune hypothyroidism, or Graves' disease, which is autoimmune hyperthyroidism. So I did receive that, you know, autoimmune diagnosis immediately versus a lot of hypothyroid patients. They may just have their endocrinologist test their TSH and free T4, if that, and they might receive the diagnosis of hypothyroidism and never find out that in reality, they actually have autoimmune hypothyroiditis, which is extremely common and makes up for about 80 to 90% of cases of hypothyroidism. Um, and when you don't know that it's autoimmune in nature, you don't know to treat it as an autoimmune disease and that you don't know that there are dietary and lifestyle changes that we can make and be empowered to make um, that will reverse or halt um, or just put us in a healthier state so we're not you know, experiencing so many symptoms. Let's jump into questions because this is kind of a nice first one that's foundational that got a lot of like, up. Uh, what do you even call them? Uh, thumbs ups, likes on Facebook. Um, got a got a lot of yes, positive reactions. This one's from Anna Marie. She says, how to figure out if you really do have a thyroid problem. So maybe, you know, talk through some of the symptoms, but then also what what's a first step for women to to be checking out their thyroid and to be looking at their thyroid health and maybe what what should they be doing, I don't know, regularly, yearly, it, just to make sure that everything is good. Yeah. So a lot of people with, you know, low functioning thyroid, a lot of them, like I said, do have an autoimmune hypothyroidism, so Hashimoto's, but there are, you know, a small subsect of people who might be experiencing hypothyroidism that's not autoimmune in nature, but they're likely to have very similar symptoms as somebody who does have Hashimoto's. Uh, somebody with Hashimoto's will probably have a more complicated disease process that involves more gut disturbances. Um, they might have gut infections and that kind of thing that we can talk about in a little bit. But some of the most common signs of hypothyroidism, and again, you may have a few of these, you may have a lot of these, it's really a spectrum. Um, you may just have a couple of these, that's kind of a signal from your body, kind of the canary telling you, hey, there's something not right right now, and you might want to check and look into this and make sure it doesn't progress. So even something like low pulse, which we can kind of all check our pulse at home or at the doctor, low body temperature, so you can take your temperature when you wake up in the morning, um, low body temperature, there's not like a specific range necessarily, but if you're not even hitting like 98 degrees, like by midday, I would consider that low body temperature and our body temperature is directly correlated to our metabolic function, which our thyroid controls. So if you have low pulse, low body temperature, you may have an issue with your metabolism, your thyroid. Um, chronic constipation is very common. So the thyroid either slows down your body or speeds up your body. So hypo means low, slow, constipation. So food is moving slower through your digestive tract, which can cause a lot of issues. Brain fog. So your brain is moving slower. It feels slower. Um, mm. Slower hair and nail growth. Um, elevated cholesterol is pretty common with people with hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, menstrual irregularities. So you may have really heavy or long periods, spotting, absent periods, amenorrhea, infertility. Uh, you may not be ovulating during your cycles. Um, or that's all very common, like just an array of menstrual irregularities, bloating, often caused by that com chronic constipation, mm -hmm. blood sugar issues. So issues regulating your blood sugar, you may um, feel really jittery if you don't eat every three to four hours. Um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of a downward effect of blood sugar issues that we can also talk about. Dry skin is pretty common. And then one that is just 
obviously for us women is the hardest to sometimes uh, face is weight gain or difficulty losing weight. So I've had um, moments in a flare of Hashimoto's when my uh, this autoimmune disease has kind of picked up in my body where I've gained weight very, very rapidly with no change to my diet or exercise, which can be very frustrating. And I really empathize with women who are going through that. Mm -hmm. uh, fatigue is very common, of course. Headaches are common. And then a lot of, um, you know, just issues with memory formation, especially short-term memory formation, word recall, uh, forgetfulness, that kind of thing. Uh, so a lot of these symptoms can kind of cross over with estrogen dominance, which can coexist with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, or even a stressed HPA access. So your hypothalamus, your pituitary, and your adrenal glands all work together on this access, and they can work really nicely together, or they can be, you know, a little off and result in some of those symptoms as well. Hmm. So Kylie asks, what are normal ranges? Um, and I know that this differs like conventionally and functionally. And I think that this is where there's a ton of confusion. Kylie personally says I'm on the low side of what a conventional doctor calls normal, but with lots of symptoms. So what do they consider as normal or optimal? Like what's the latest research and what's the latest functional approach to what's like, what are some normal ranges for specifically like TSA? Yeah, so lab ranges vary based on the lab you use, so it's hard to give an exact range. But ideally, okay, so if, if she's low in the in the conventional range, she's certainly low in the optimal range and would be considered likely hypothyroid um, if she went to a functional medicine practitioner and would be treated as so. If she was at a conventional endocrinologist, they may say, hey, you're low, but you're still in range. So we're not going to treat you until you're even worse, until you feel worse. And it looks worse on paper, which is unfortunate because a lot of conventional endocrinologists who are the specialty doctors who treat, um, you know, endocrine disorders like thyroid disorders, they treat paper instead of people. So mm -hmm. they're going to look at you on paper. And if you look hey, you're still in the range, then we're not going to treat you right now. And the thing with the ranges is they're really based on an unhealthy population of people, um, inclusive, of, inclusive of people with hypothyroidism. So <clears throat> functional medicine is going to look at the optimal range of people who are actually, you know, in a metabolically healthy state. So for most functional medicine practitioners, they're going to want your free T3 and your free T4 in about the 50 to 75% of that range, um, which means on the higher end of the spectrum, because we want our T3 and our free T4 to be, we don't want it to be low because that means we have low metabolic functioning versus TSH, we don't want to be high. So there's kind of this inverse relationship between TSH and free T3 and free T4, which we can talk about. Um, but for TSH, the higher the value in the range, the likely more hypothyroid you could potentially be because TSH, it's a pituitary hormone. It's created in the anterior pituitary gland in your brain. And it tells your thyroid to make more or less thyroid hormone. It senses what's going on in the body. So if your TSH is high, it means your, your pituitary is telling the thyroid, make more, make more, make more. There's not enough. So um, a higher TSH is not ideal. Oftentimes, a functional practitioner is going to want to see your TSH between 0.5 to 2. Um, some people might want it even tighter, like 1 to 1.5. But the tighter you get in a range, the more 
I don't know, perfectionist we can be in the body, you know, we are not robots. So our TSH is constantly fluctuating, which is why it's important to test it frequently at the same time of the day prior to medication or after medication, but to always be consistent with however you're testing. If you want to reduce stress and fatigue, improve cellular function and nourish your endocrine system, including your adrenals and your thyroid gland, look no further than red light therapy. It does all of this within a matter of minutes. Red light therapy is one of the most effective health modalities you can do with a device in your own home. It's helped improve my sleep, reduce fatigue and headaches, and it's incredible for reducing inflammation and stress because studies show it stimulates energy production in the body by improving mitochondrial function. It literally improves how your cells function. Red light therapy license like most things, has to be in a specific sweet spot to deliver therapeutic benefits. Things like wavelength, density, and dosage have to be in balance. Anything outside of that sweet spot will be less effective, which is why some people buy red light therapy devices on Amazon or wherever and don't see results. Juve, that's J-O-O-V-V, is the leading brand when it comes to effective and safe red light therapy. They optimize all the variables needed to hit that therapy therapeutic window. What I love about Juve is that it delivers clinical benefits within minutes and by using scientifically proven wavelengths so that 660 nanometers and 850 nanometers or a combination of both, this ensures Juve's products offer some of those therapeutic values that we see in all that red light therapy research and literature. As of today, Juve has launched their next generation of devices and they've made huge upgrades to what was already the best red light therapy systems on the market. Juve's new devices are sleeker, they're lighter, and they've intensified their coverage area. Plus they have some really cool new features like recovery mode for post-workout and then an ambient mode for like a calmer, lower lower intensity of light at night to support circadian rhythm functions. Um, if you're looking for a new Juve device for your home or you're, you want to invest in one, which I highly highly recommend go to juve.com slash wellfed that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash wellfed and then use our code wellfed for a discount that's exclusive to us it's a percentage off so i would jump on it again that's juve.com slash wellfed so interesting that made me think about a, a experience that I completely forgot about with a family member, not my husband, um, but she had she was working with an endocrinologist that was more functional um, at a fertility clinic and or in conjunction with like a fertility clinic and was having her thyroid numbers tested and her TSH was like maybe 2.9 or like a, like just under three Um either just under or just above somewhere it was like right around that number where most functional practitioners will say it really shouldn't be above three like that's your red flag so she had gotten that and was like okay here we're gonna support you with a little bit of thyroid hormone and we're gonna this is the process that we're gonna do then she moved um and saw a different endocrinologist just you know one that her that was covered by her insurance and got her numbers run again. Her TSH had gone up 
So in other words, it had gotten worse, right? Because the more TSH your body is pumping out, it, the less your body actually, ha- your, the, your body is saying, we don't have enough. Hello, like using a microphone saying, hello, come on, like make more thyroid hormone talking to your thyroid. And so if your body is not making enough, it's going to get louder and louder and that number is going to go up and up and up, right? So the number had gone up. Now it was like above four. And um, this new endocrinologist was like, oh, you're fine. You don't have a thyroid issue. And she sent me the numbers. And I was like, you're she's like, well, my TSH got better. It went up. And I was like, no, no, it, it got worse. And your current your new doctor is now like and that's the amazing thing that it, it, it's it's so dependent on the opinion and the education of like one person to like screw that up. So I was like, whoa, 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 no, your other doctors, it, like the, go, going up is worse. And your other doctor called it as it was and said, this is a problem. This is a red flag. So we need to start treating it. And now it's worse. And your, your new doctor is saying, no, it's fine. So, you know, that, if anything, I think that shows us that the opinion of one person should not be the end all be all, especially when it comes to our own health. And if you're, and if you have done a lot of research and asking around and maybe even, you know, listened to this podcast with a lot of really smart functional medicine practitioners, Dr. Becky is one of them who, um, I've interviewed a couple times. She is, you know, works with thyroid issues in particular. And you hear that these are the normal ranges and here's some red flags. And yeah, you, you have symptoms and, and, that's that's a that's there could be a problem here and a and a root cause and then somebody says oh no you're fine like that that's not the end all be all and you can you can pursue and find somebody who can team up with you and maybe has better education about this um so talk to me a little bit about and i know i'm sure it'll come up later in some of our other questions but how were you able to find a doctor elena that was able to like listen to you and maybe do what you say. I know you kind of have your own way of doing things and I can't even, I'm just imagining you going into the doctor's office and saying like, this is what you're going to do for me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But how did you, did it take a while to find an endocrinologist or even a doctor or functional medicine practitioner who was willing to do the things that you were asking? You know, when I was younger and I didn't, functional medicine was not as, available and and talked about I did just endocrinologist hop I probably went to like eight to ten different endocrinologists trying to find somebody who would who saw the value of the thyroid and didn't look at it as just this one gland in your body it's the master gland of your body it controls your entire metabolic processes and a lot of us just think of metabolism as relating to weight loss and like oh well yeah, you have a few stubborn pounds, but we're not medicating you or we're not going to run your free T3 or we're not going to prescribe you T3 because we don't we aren't caught up with the research that suggests that prescribing free T3 or T3 medication would be helpful to hypothyroid patients if T4 is not enough for them. So I ran into a lot of that. And after a while, I would see this pattern. And after the first appointment, I knew if that doctor was right for me or not, if they would listen to me or not, if they would agree to run a full thyroid panel, which includes TSH, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and both thyroid antibodies. If they agree to that, I'm like, okay, so you agree that all of this matters. So I will prioritize coming back to see you. If they then say, you know, your T, your free T3 is low, but I don't agree with, you know, supplementing you with uh, T3 medication, then I go find somebody else. So I just slowly 
<laughs> crawled my way to the correct practice practitioners. And I've never met a functional or, or integrative doctor who will not run a full thyroid panel and who doesn't really understand the importance of all of your thyroid numbers being in balance. Mm -hmm. So conventional doctors, you're going to run into that a lot, unfortunately, especially with endocrinologists. It's unfortunate, but that's just the truth that many thyroid patients go through. So really becoming your own advocate, doing your own research, becoming your own thyroid expert so that you can go to your physician with some information and even some studies. You can use PubMed. PubMed is a free government database with tons and tons of studies that support everything we're talking about today. And go with them and print them out and say, here's, you know, some studies that are supporting what I'm asking you to do here. Can you please take a look? And hopefully they can, you know, maybe put a little bit of that ego aside and help you out. And mm -hmm. I really do think the patient deserves to be in the driver's seat. It's our body. We're living in our body all day, every day. We're living with these symptoms. They are not. They see us for a 15-minute appointment and then we leave. And they don't have to think about us again. But we're the ones living in our bodies. And we need to really take control and get in the driver's seat. Mm. Amen. Okay, Martha Hawthorne. So many questions. The diet differences, which is best? AIP, no cruciferous vegetables, more cruciferous vegetables, take it all iodine in diet or not to worry about it. Should I get an ultrasound to get a baseline? So talk to me about diet. This is your thing. So so many questions. You know what? You know, if you'd asked me five years ago, what's the best diet? I would have definitely said AIP. And that definitely can be the best diet for a lot of people. But I've also learned that it, it's not. It can be too restrictive. It can be overly restrictive in a way that doesn't make sense for a given person's genetics and bioindividuality. Um, so really, the best diet for you is the one that creates symptom reduction. It's easy for you to maintain. You look forward to eating that kind of food. Um, really important is that your diet does not cause additional stress because that is going to be a complete antithesis to the work that you're trying to do. If you're adding more stress with eating an anti-inflammatory diet, you could be completely negating the effects, the positive effects of those uh, anti-inflammatory foods. Um, and really one that gives you sustained energy without blood sugar issues and like being really careful about not just following trends, uh, you know, just because this like male weightlifter or crossfitter that's really popular in the you know paleo whole foods movement is telling everybody the benefits of fasting and eating ketogenic diets does not necessarily mean that is the best diet for you and oftentimes that's that's certainly not um so really it's the diet that you're absorbing the nutrients because a lot of people with autoimmune disease have difficulty absorbing nutrients because of leaky gut. Um, so you just really want to pay attention to the signals your body is giving you. You know, if you're on AIP and you're eating all these raw salads and eating all these cruciferous vegetables and you're getting increased bloating and increased, um, you know, gastrointestinal symptoms, then those are not the best foods for you, even though they are you know, okay within this designed template that somebody created. Um, but a lot of the foods within AIP um, can be very beneficial, and especially the foods that they eliminate in the short term. So the autoimmune protocol eliminates grains. So grains like gluten and rice, corn and oats. Just to give your dietary tract a little bit of a rest from digesting like hard to digest grains. There's other reasons as well. It eliminates dairy. A lot of people who can't eat gluten, they also have a kind of a cross-reactive reaction to dairy protein as well. So it eliminates dairy. And this is, again, for the short term. You don't want to be on an elimination diet longer than you need to be. You really want to start reintroducing foods as soon as possible. Um, monitoring, you know, monitoring your symptoms. Um, 
but also not stressing about it because that stress will cause a food intolerance reaction to happen if you're eating food under a stressed condition, worrying if you're going to react to it. Um, it eliminates harder to digest foods like nuts and seeds, um, coffee, alcohol. A lot of these foods are just irritating to the gut. So it's kind of giving your gut a little bit of a reset. And a lot of people really do tolerate, you know, well-cooked meats, uh, stews, bone broths, well-cooked starchy root vegetables like sweet potatoes and carrots and parsnips. Something that's pre-cooked is going to be a lot easier on your gut. It's already pre-digested in a way so that your body doesn't have to work quite as hard. So that's one of the benefits of AIP is kind of taking, letting your digestive system just take a little bit of a break um, and hopefully heal the intestinal barrier that um, has kind of loosened up and caused leaky gut. And leaky gut can also lead to these autoimmune symptoms as well, as, as well as just poor nutrient absorption. This one's from Elena. She says it's eliminating... Elena, but spelled differently, uh, <laughs> is eliminating gluten essential for everyone with Hashimoto's? So gluten is actually one of those few foods that we really have a lot of science to back us up in this. Um, there is a protein within gluten that looks very, very similar to a protein within the thyroid. So when we're eating something like gluten, which can be very inflammatory, the immune system can mount an antibody attack against that gluten protein. Um, especially in the cases of leaky gut, because we're ingesting this wheat product that has gluten in it, that has this protein gliadin in it. And then this food, these food particles are basically escaping our bowels and going into our bloodstream and our immune system's very smart. And they're like, that's not supposed to be here. Let's like, that's a foreigner. Let's attack this thing. And it mimics the protein in the thyroid, which is why Hashimoto's, I think, is one of the more common autoimmune diseases or one of the, you know, probably the most common autoimmune diseases because the proteins within the thyroid can be very confusing to the immune system. So then our, our, our bodies can attack our thyroid gland at the same time, um, resulting in Hashimoto's or Graves. So eliminating gluten is a big one for a lot of people. And honestly, like the products that you know, contain gluten aren't necessarily health promoting foods. Like if we, if anything, we eliminate gluten containing products and we leave more room in our diets for more health promoting anti-inflammatory foods with more nutrients. Um, the same protein, it can also be found in some other grains like oats and barley, rye, um, millet, I believe as well. And then casein, it's one of the proteins in dairy that can be cross-reactive for some people with gluten sensitivities. I myself can actually eat dairy, no problem now, but there was um, a period of time where I had to eliminate it. Hmm. And so how did you know it was t it was okay or it was time to bring it back in? Did you just kind of start experimenting with it or how did that work? Yes, I. so I was probably on the full elimination phase of AIP for several months before I started introducing foods like chocolate and nuts and seeds that my body seemed to tolerate well. Um, and then just slowly over time, honestly, it was such a slow process of healing for me. And I didn't expect it to be any faster because I knew that it had taken years for my body to get to this place. And that, it, you know, just like pregnancy, um, it takes months for you to have this baby. We can't expect our body to be performing in the same way, you know, within a shorter amount of time than we're pregnant. So it was really just really tuning into my body. I 
I'm grateful for autoimmune disease because it helped me really get to know my body well and tune into it very closely, but in a positive way, not in an obsessive way. So just slowly over time, I was able to start introducing more and more foods and just kind of do a wait and see. How am I feeling? Do I have an increase in fatigue, headaches, swelling, any of my my personal common Hashimoto symptoms? Um, and over time, I realized I don't. And I actually had to eliminate nightshades, which is another common food group they eliminate on the autoimmune protocol. I eliminated those for six or seven years because I noticed that they did cause a very uh, direct correlation increase in symptoms of uh, thyroiditis for me. And now I can actually eat nightshades like a few times a week with absolutely no symptoms at all. So I want everybody to know, like, you know, it's hard to eliminate foods, but if you're replacing them with health-promoting foods and you're really enjoying the food you're eating and you're healing your body at the same time, you absolutely can reintroduce foods. Um, it is a total possibility for all of us. Hmm. How did you, so when you say like, you know, that it caused you issues, like, oh yeah, I had, I had more issues. W did you have more symptoms of thyroid disease when you would eat nightshades or were you checking your numbers constantly, like checking to see like if your thyroid numbers were changing? Back then, I, you know, I was in my master's program and I didn't have a great health insurance plan. So I wasn't, you know, checking my thyroid labs every few weeks just to see how a food was, you know, reacting in my body. I was just going based on symptoms. So an elimination diet and tracking your symptoms in a food journal can be really helpful, at least for a few weeks. Um, you never want to become obsessive, which is kind of a common um unfortunate negative effect of these elimination diets, especially with us women growing up in a dietary culture where we just are constantly on some sort of diet and controlling our food intake. It can be really easy to become obsessive. So just be very self-aware that that does not happen and that you're very honest with yourself. You're tracking your food and symptoms simply as an N equals one experiment to figure out what foods are inflammatory for your body and which ones are not. Um, I've taken some food sensitivity blood tests, but I really have a mixed kind of opinion on those. Um, if anything, a food sensitivity test tells you that, yes, you do have leaky gut and your body is reacting to foods, but it's really not the foods that are the, the bad guy, right? It's like our bodies are just um, struggling and mounting an immune response against foods that are crossing into our bloodstream. If you haven't tried Flying Ember's hard kombucha or hard seltzer, make this your upcoming summer drink of choice. I can guarantee you're gonna love it just as much as I do. I always get, I always get the question like, do you drink and what do you drink? And truthfully, the answer is not much. But I do love me some Flying Ember's hard kombucha and hard seltzer. I found them a while ago at my local grocery store and the black cherry hard kombucha and then there's this watermelon chili hard seltzer. It is so good, and it is now my drink of choice. My husband actually surprised me and got us a ton for my birthday. Flying Embers is a better-for-you alcohol brand that brews hard kombucha and probiotic-powered hard seltzer. Their products don't have sugar. They are USDA-certified organic, and they're brewed with live probiotics and adaptogens. They are all gluten-free. What I've noticed is that when I want to drink at the end of the day or on the weekend, it gives a nice little uplifting and light feeling. You won't feel dizzy or out of it the next day and there's no bloating like with beer been there done that no sugar crashes from things like wine and cocktails 
and their products are artfully crafted with a dry fermentation process, which gives the hard kombucha a perfectly balanced natural sweetness and it tastes amazing. Receive 15% off your order. They ship worldwide. Go to flyingembers.com slash wellfed. Again, that's flying, so F-L-Y-I-N-G, embers, E-M-B-E-R-S.com slash wellfed. The discount is only available there. Make sure you use the code wellfed and that that's applied at checkout. They do have free shipping with qualifying orders. So order a couple variety packs, get that discount and you'll get the free shipping on top of it. Again, that's flyingembers.com slash wellfed. Yeah, and that's why I think people get, they, they're surprised to hear that you could, be, if you're reacting to everything, for example, if you're somebody who's really struggling and has been reacting, you react to so many foods and it's getting worse, that's likely because of intestinal permeability. And it took a long time for doctors and studies. I mean, there's so much research on it now. Remember when people first started talking about intestinal permeability or calling it leaky gut, it was like pseudoscience and conspiracy theory, and everybody didn't actually want to acknowledge it or kept saying it's not a real thing. And now there's just so much research on it, and it's well recognized as an actual condition and a real thing. However, it's still not well understood. And so it's if you are are struggling with um, a lot of food allergies and food sensitivities, and yeah, even allergies, a lot of that is because of a disrupted gut disrupted gut function. And you can actually, we did a podcast on this with oh, man, I'll have I'll have to check the number, but it was with someone who uh, a woman who was really really into the science and literature when it comes to kids' rashes and kids' sensitivities and 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 just childhood childhood allergies and she's actually found that like you can by working on the gut and improving gut function and also calming down the immune system you can actually improve intolerances and allergies which can be life or death you know um, especially if it continues to get worse and worse and the underlying root cause isn't addressed so i think that that can be super um encouraging for people because sometimes you take these food sensitivity tests and it's sort of like a a life sentence you know it's like nope can never have these foods again and it's like 28 things that you love to eat and most of the time it's it's the things that you eat the most so yeah um okay do you want to go back up to that um selenium was it a selenium question yeah where were we iodine you're good with that okay so this is from Kristen kent she says what's the deal with selenium how does it help with reducing antibodies my doctor has said to eat two brazil brazil nuts per day for their selenium content when i asked what could help lower antibodies for the record going gluten-free and selenium were the two things he mentioned then low dose naltrexone as something to possibly try down the road would love more info on those things. Yes, that doctor knows what they're talking about. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so selenium is a very, very, very important uh, mineral nutrient for the body and particularly for the thyroid. It's actually the thyroid's the organ with the highest concentration of selenium in the body. So it makes sense that supplementing with 
the optimal amount of selenium could help reverse, um, you know, it would be pro-thyroid. It would help reverse thyroid disease. So there actually are a couple studies on this, both in pregnant and non-pregnant women. Um, but there is a study that participants were given, you know, participants with Hashimoto's, not just a healthy person off the street. People with Hashimoto's were given 200 micrograms of selenium a day. So organic selenium um, supplement. Pure Encapsulations makes one that I really like that has exactly 200 micrograms. It's a very small little pill. I take it daily myself. And it showed that there was a 40% decrease in thyro, thyroid peroxidase antibodies. So the TPO antibodies which is amazing because there's sometimes you have patients with Hashimoto's who come to you with like a thousand, you know, and you know, a thousand antibodies, like, uh, less than 15 is ideal, for example. So these people, I mean, there are people who will have like an antibody level of 9,000, like within a really severe disease state. So to see any sort of significant decrease, like 40% decrease with just a couple months of taking a daily supplement is quite something. So, um, Brazil nuts contain selenium, but you just never know, like, is my body absorbing that? You know, nuts can be hard to absorb. The selenium content in soil is hard to track. So we don't really know exactly how much selenium might be in that Brazil nut that you're getting or where you're getting it from. So I personally like just taking the pure encapsulation so that I know that I'm getting exactly that amount that studies have shown decreases antibodies. Um, it also has shown to decrease anxiety in people with persistent hypothyroid symptoms. Anxiety is a really common one. Depression is a common one. So it has some mental health benefits as well. Um, they also found this to be true in a study of pregnant women experiencing hypothyroidism. So post-study, the pregnant women that taking selenium in that 200 gram amount um, experienced less hypothyroid symptoms in the postpartum period. That's cool. Okay. I like science. Um, yeah, it's not often you get like something really clear cut like that, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. This and is the... Iodine, I Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. Mention iodine. iodine. Yeah. Because I think there's a few questions on this and there's a lot of confusion about iodine when it comes to thyroid and people will call it the Goldilocks supplement because you don't want to take too much and you don't want to take too little. Um, but we also have to realize like we're in most of us listening are in well-developed countries, I'm assuming, and we might be getting like iodized salt here and there. Um, we might be eating sea vegetables. We might be eating seafood. So most of us are likely adequate in iodine, but the only way to know is to do a blood serum test with your doctor. And iodine and selenium, you want them both in balance alone and with each other. So it's really ideal to test both of them. So you can request, you know, the next time you get your full thyroid panel done, okay, can you also test my iodine and can you test my selenium? And I want to see where I'm at with both of those. Um, if you need to supplement with iodine, you can, you just you, I'm very, very wary of anybody recommending high doses of iodine. Like we, we know that that can progress the Hashimoto's disease process and increase um, destruction of the thyroid gland and then in turn increase uh, production of antibodies. So it's definitely not something you want to be taking in high doses. Um, selenium is the one that's more protective for the thyroid, but it's not like you don't need iodine. We all need iodine. We just have to have it in the correct amount. So you have to be really careful with that. It's interesting. I think a lot of people, if you were to test iodine, they're fairly low in iodine. Um, I mean, I'm just taking that from personal experience, but it's like, seems like every time I do like a full panel of whatever, it's like your iodine's low and then I will actually take, I'll just eat, order a bunch of those seaweed strips and you just 
have like a couple a day, which now that I'm thinking about it, we haven't done that in a while. But, you know, you have a couple a day and it actually does get your your iodine in balance. But if you you're not getting in it dietarily, it's it's going to be low, which so few of us yeah. do. So well, and I think a lot of us are are not doing like iodized table salt. Right. Because right? we're like, mm-hmm. oh, we're, you know, we're doing pink salt or Himalayan salt. So, yes, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Um, but just keeping like supplements, you know, just looking out for the micrograms a day in your supplements. It might be like anywhere from 100 to 200. Um, if you need a little boost in your iodine it might be sufficient, but then you'll want to retest again, you know, at least within the next two months if you're taking those supplements daily. This is your specialty. This is from Stephanie. She says pregnancy induced hypothyroidism. Will it go away after the baby is born? It can. So I think it's about approximately 8 to 10% of pregnant women, if we tested all pregnant women, which we don't, would have hypothyroid markers. And that's because, especially in your first trimester, when that placenta, you're growing a new organ, you're growing your placenta, and your body is at an increased energy demand significantly. Um, like, I, I, as somebody with Hashimoto's who has two kids, I can attest to this, how difficult it is for somebody with Hashimoto's in the first trimester to try to keep up with the thyroid demand of pregnancy, especially when you're on thyroid replacement medication. You often have to get tested multiple times throughout every single one of your trimesters and make dosage adjustments, and it usually levels out by the second trimester for most women. Um, but if you just have, like, a secondary hypothyroidism caused by pregnancy and not necessarily Hashimoto's, it can definitely resolve in a postpartum woman, um, especially if you're well-nourished, if you are in a low-stress environment, uh, you know, if you have proper supplementation, you can continue to take that selenium postpartum as well, that 200 micrograms a day. So it can definitely resolve uh, in postpartum women. If you have Hashimoto, so primary hypothyroidism caused by an autoimmune dysfunction, it might be a little less likely that it'll, it'll resolve postpartum, and you may even have a postpartum flare as that immune system turns back on, usually by month three. For me, it's usually by month two. My immune system's like, whoop, we're working again. Like we we turned ourselves off to protect that baby and make sure your body knew that this baby was not a foreign invader and that we kept it nice and safe and cozy. And now we're back in business. So then your immune system ramps back up postpartum. And if you have an autoimmune disease, then um, you may see a flare. And I don't say that to frighten anybody. It's just something to be aware of so that you're really nourishing your body, sleeping really well, supplementing if you need to, and eliminating stress as much as possible, which I know is difficult. Do you recommend most women get a full thyroid panel after they have like postpartum at like six weeks postpartum or whatever when they go to their appointment? Yeah, I think six weeks postpartum, if you're still not feeling great, do three months, do six months, nine months, 12 months, like every few months, um, especially if you're having hypothyroid symptoms, I think it's important to be tracking and seeing in which direction your thyroid is going postpartum because we, you know, a lot of postpartum depression and anxiety could be attributed to uh, imbalances in the thyroid and we're not catching that. And so we're really not getting to the root cause of of a woman's um you know, difficulty with her mental state. Hmm. This is from Katie. She says, when dealing with thyroid and adrenal issues, should you fix the adrenals first or the thyroid? I know. This is such a big question. Interesting question because they definitely work together. So you really can't fix one without the other. You can't fully heal your thyroid with a, you know, poorly performing adrenal glands um, because they really have a bi-directional relationship and they work in similar feedback loops. So the HPA axis is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenals, but then 
the um, hypothalamus, pituitary, and thyroid also work together. So it's all interconnected. So a lot of the like dietary and lifestyle suggestions that you see in the functional community actually support both the thyroid and the adrenals at the same exact time, which is lovely because then you're kind of treating both of those issues at the same time doing the same exact things. Um, there are some nuances, of course, but I think it's really important to like recognize, especially because so many women listen to this podcast, is that a lot of the same things that cause stress on the thyroid cause stress on the adrenals and vice versa. And that can be mental, physical, and emotional stress. So oftentimes we think of stress as like, oh, traffic or oh, I had a fight with my boyfriend. But we actually put the most amount of stress on our bodies because we're constantly participating in low calorie diets, excessive exercise, chronic dieting. And not acknowledging it, like it's hard for us to be self-aware and to just acknowledge, yes, I've been in a re- dieting relationship with food for however many years and I've been chronically underfeeding my body every single day since. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to kind of admit that and reverse that. And I know you have so many podcast episodes on that, <laughs> so we don't have to go into it. Like 300, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't have to touch that, but it's all very related and it's really I think we see a lot in the holistic health community as women wanting to be as you know low body weight and low body fat as possible while achieving thyroid and adrenal health. And depending on your genetic factors, maybe that is possible. But for a lot of us, it's not. Um, circadian rhythm is a big one because mm-hmm. we're just all stuck in front of our screens. And I know you have some great episodes on blue light, but um, pineal gland dysfunction, which is also related to fluoride consumption from our water and interrupts our melatonin production, which interrupts our circadian rhythm production, you know, staying up late, um, waking up early to get to work, like being indoors all day, staring at screens instead of being out in the nature and sunshine, getting gentle movement in throughout the day. All of these are going to impact your adrenals and thyroid. So we know what can help. We just have to be the ones that are empowered enough to implement all of these lifestyle changes into our life and honestly not make excuses for it because, I've had to make a lot of changes in my life to make sure that um, all these systems are working properly together. (laughs) Yeah. I I like what you said, though, and it's not overwhelming. I mean, it does seem overwhelming to be like, oh, I got to work on all these issues at once. But a lot of things that you're going to do to nourish and heal the root cause of specific thyroid issues is going to nourish the adrenals because a lot of the like specific root causes of adrenal dysfunction relates very closely to the adrenals for example you could do a whole dutch test and and you could even do like a salivary cortisol um test and see that oh wow like my cortisol like you mentioned cortisol rhythms are kind of out of whack that could actually be part of the root cause and causing a lot of issues with your thyroid so while you're working on improving thyroid function uh i mean improving your cortisol rhythms so, for example, all the things you just said, wearing your blue light blockers, going to bed, all that kind of stuff, not working out too much, eating enough, nourishing your body, reducing inflammation, that's going to help both the adrenal glands function properly and support proper adrenal, like if, if you have adrenal insufficiency or HPA axis dysregulation or cortisol resistance, that's going to help that. But it's also going to support your your thyroid at the same time. So I don't think you have to look at it separately, but more together um, and also like I just feel like taking care of your adrenals is something we should always be doing all day, every day, (laughs) because it's like every day we're experiencing these things that are trying to disrupt our adrenal function. And so that's why I'm so passionate about being proactive with things like red light therapy and blue light blocking glasses and making sure that you're getting good sleep and eating enough 
not dieting your, you know, cutting your calories way down and making sure that we're doing nourishing movement and not doing things that are too intense. And, and it's just like all that stuff. So, well, yeah. and it's interesting because we diet to lose weight, which in turn slows down our metabolism, which mm-hmm. in turn, you know, creates a hypothyroid state for our bodies. And then we think we just have to keep doing more of that. And that's actually the exact opposite yeah. of what our bodies need. I just always think if I lived in a forest, what would I be doing right now? Like if I lived in the <laughs> 1800s, what would I be doing right now? Because people were much healthier back then in terms of like, you know, the modern chronic illnesses that we all deal with now. So, yeah. you know, for example, I'm staring at a screen for an hour, which I love because I'm talking to you, but I'm going to put my baby in a stroller right after this and go outside and get some fresh air and sunshine yeah. and some vitamin D and balance that um, indoor blue light time out. I can envision you in, the, I, well, I actually, I couldn't, I'm in, I'm, uh, you said me in a forest, and I was like, "You in a forest? I don't see that. I see, I see, I see you on a beach. That's what I see." <laughs> okay, fine. That's more likely because I live five minutes from the beach. You're right. <laughs> I see you in the forest. Like, get me out of here. It's too much shade. <laughs> How do I get out? <laughs> yeah, get out well, and there's um, also some supplements that you can try to that, you know, talk to your practitioners first. But what I have found actually really helpful for balancing adrenals, um, which in turn helps my thyroid is liposomal vitamin C, um, which can get very quickly depleted in our bodies. And thankfully, it's water soluble. So it's unlikely that we'll, you know, intoxicate ourselves with vitamin C, <laughs> but it can be very helpful. Um, a lot of us have MTHFR mutations, uh, about 50% of us do. So a methylated B vitamin complex, like oh my goodness, postpartum, um, the Seeking Health uh, methylated B-complex has been a lifesaver for me. Like the days Mm. I don't take it, I'm like, oh, that's why I feel this way. Like give me the B vitamins because a lot of us are um, deficient in that. And you can also get, you know, these um, tested blood serum levels to make sure you're not overdosing on any of these um, vitamins and supplements as well. Magnesium, obviously at night is very relaxing and can help you put yourself in a more restful state. Um, a lot of people with autoimmune disease are deficient in vitamin D and you may not be able to actually get adequate amounts just from the sunlight, especially depending on your skin tone and other factors. If you wear sunscreen, um, the time of the year, where you're, where you're located, um, based on the equator, all that kind of stuff. Um, so supplementing with vitamin D, even though I live in Florida and I'm outside daily and have a nice tan, I still supplement with vitamin D and that actually keeps my levels in an optimal optimal range. Um, if, mm-hmm. if I didn't supplement and I just was outside all the time, I actually, because of my genetics and my darker skin tone, wouldn't have enough vitamin D to put me in an optimal range. And then mm-hmm. glutathione as well. Um, a liposomal glutathione is easier to um, absorb and can be very beneficial for some people. But you can check, um, you know, talk with your functional practitioner, your practitioner all about those supplements as well. I didn't um, know that about the seeking health. That's really, that's really cool. The B complex. Yeah. Yeah. That one. And I also do the seeking health, uh, liposomal, the liquid vitamin D drops. They're in olive Mm -hmm. oil. So if you are on an elimination diet, it's suspended in olive oil. So that one is a great option as well. Yes. That's, I, I take that too. So I will link to the seeking health vitamin B complex, the D drops. Um, I have the code is well fed for 10% off that. I recommend just buying it directly from the seeking health website. And then uh, magnesium, I can link to magnesium breakthrough too. You also said liposomal um, glutathione, right? Yes. And Seeking Health also has a formulation with liposomal glutathione. Oh, great. That's awesome. Okay. Um, This is from Stephanie. She said, should the goal be to wean from thyroid medication? And if so, what are some ways to improve thyroid function without the use of medication? 
That's a good one. So it really depends on the person and the disease process, how much of their thyroid has been destroyed by thyroid disease, which an ultrasound will tell you. Um, so if you haven't, if you have Hashimoto's or you suspect it, uh, along with your full thyroid blood panel, it might be a good idea to also get an ultrasound to see where you're at with your disease process. And that way you also have like a before and after to compare, which is great um, because thyroid tissue can regenerate, but it's not guaranteed. It's not like the liver. Like we know the liver is going to grow back, right? But we don't actually know if everybody's thyroid tissue will regenerate at the same speed that we want it to, to get us to a point where we can be off medication. But there's certainly a lot of people um, especially who are more in like the mild to mild moderate Hashimoto stage that can definitely wean and get off medication. I personally um, had so much of my thyroid destroyed in such an acute um, and severe attack on it that it's very unlikely that I'll ever be able to get off of thyroid meds. But I certainly don't rely on thyroid meds as like the end all be all of my health. In fact, if I didn't do the dietary and lifestyle interventions, I'd probably be pretty sick right now. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't want anybody to feel any guilt or shame if they can't get off medication and, and because there are practitioners who say, oh, yeah, you can absolutely do that. But it's just not it's not the reality for every scenario. Like it's no. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm um, happy. I know I'm happy to take my thyroid meds. It helps keep my levels optimal and then helps me be able to focus on other areas of my body um, to heal. Because if we are if we're in a state of like not getting the thyroid supplementation that we need, it can actually lead to a further attack, auto autoimmune attack on our thyroid. Um, so I really think like the goal, like I hear this all the time. I just want to get off my meds because we are like in the holistic health community. We're like no meds, but like sometimes right, right. we need them. And for me, the goal is to reduce antibodies if I can, which I have been able to reduce them to like near um, remission levels. Um, you know, pretty pretty regularly as postpartum, I might have a very small little uptick in antibodies, but then they go back down um, and to improve symptoms and quality of life and optimize your nutrient levels um, and just make sure you're living like that fulfilled, happy, optimal life and that you're well energized. Like that really should be the goal versus just getting off a of medication. Hmm. So that's interesting. So you can, with lifestyle shifts, have been able to reduce your antibodies way down. Does it change your TSH at all? or And have you had to adjust your medication accordingly? Or is it just you stay kind of on the same dose and sometimes move that around depending, like, of course, pregnancy and postpartum? And for the most part, though, your antibodies are pretty far down. Yeah, I've really only had to change my thyroid medication because of pregnancy and postpartum. I can't say, you know, otherwise, if I hadn't had two children, what my thyroid would have done and if I would have had to increase medication or not. But uh, my antibodies are the ones that fluctuate more than my other levels tend to when I'm not pregnant. Um and I've always been able to get those, thankfully, in control. That might not be for everybody, but even slight drops in antibodies, like whether it's like 10 or 20, um, is really encouraging for somebody because you know that that disease process is, is slowing down. This one's from Afton, and I'm going to uh, mention something quickly. She says, can you talk about red light therapy for hypothyroidism? Um, and I, from personal experience, this is kind of what my husband and I have done um, We've been using red light therapy more and more. I wish we were more on top of it and had been have been doing really more targeted therapy, especially on his thyroid. But we just haven't like I need to order him a little handheld one, but we haven't totally gotten there. But I've seen it make huge improvements um, for my own health. And that's kind of why I am so passionate about red light therapy. And I've been trying to get Elena on the on the train. I'm always like, do you have red light therapy yet? Um, so uh, and Juve. I actually did an interview with a representative from Juve um, 
I think it was episode number 260, so I'll link to that in the show notes. But red light therapy actually improves your mitochondrial function, which is those little energy factories in your cells. And that's why it's been shown to do things like speed up recovery and improve chronic pain and support your immune function. And it's like there are actually studies that show it reduces rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. Um, and in 2013, there was this... A randomized control, placebo controlled trial where volunteers were assigned to an infrared red light therapy group or placebo group. And the volunteers that were exposed to the red light therapy saw a significant reduction in how much levothyroxine, which is like, you know, the typical traditional thyroid medication they needed to take. So, and then they actually found too that the autoimmunity, so I think they assessed that just by measuring, I think it was just TPO antibodies. Um, was significantly lower in that light therapy group. So I think that that's pretty interesting. And even though it's only been like minimal research, um, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I think is so beneficial to have in your house because, um, you can use it to treat a lot of different things, but specifically there are studies on, on thyroid function, which, um, it's kind of cool. Like, again, science, research, it's it's fun to kind of see what things do have a positive impact on thyroid function. Um, and especially, and when we're talking about mitochondrial function and improving that, like, that's pretty profound. So have you, this is my big question for you, um, have you tried red light therapy yet? Oh, I know. I texted you like a few weeks ago. What's your code again? <laughs> <laughs> I just need to pull the trigger because it is a bigger I know. purchase, but I, I know, know it's, an investment. It's, it's worth it. It's just sometimes when you see the bigger number, you're like, I'm going to have to like mentally work my way up to that. Um, yeah. No, but yeah. I have, I anecdotally have heard of a handful of friends with Hashimoto's who've been able to reduce their antibodies pretty significantly with daily red light treatment. And that's different from like an infrared sauna, for example, like those can be used um, to help with detoxification and uh, like liver congestion, um, detoxing heavy metals. But red light therapy is, has like a whole different kind of modulation effect on the immune system than infrared um, saunas. It's an investment. Yeah, yeah. It's an investment. Yeah, you I've just forgot. You used to love your sauna visits. You're always like, I need to get to the sauna. Um (laughs) (laughs) when everything shut down. Yeah. Everything shut down, you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna live without a sauna trip. I need to do that. And so even my mom has like a sauna now in her home. And I feel like everybody does now. So I'm like, do we need to do this? I'm sure it's great. One day. Again, it's the big ticket number, but you have to it's it's worth the investment. It's definitely worth it just to like give yourself some time, save up a little bit. Um, our discount, we do have a discount code. It's juve, J-O-O-V-V dot com slash well-fed. I think they're doing now $50 off any device, which is actually a really awesome deal. Um, and there's a plethora of reasons why I choose juve. They actually use the light ranges that have been studied and proven. So sometimes people will get red light therapy devices and they do not, they're not effective. They don't notice the difference because they are not giving you intense, powerful, like a very specific range of light within like that has been proven um, in the literature. So that's why I I personally love Juve. And once you have a unit, you have it, you know, like I, I can't like I've had it now for maybe two years, year and a half, two years. Um, How old's Maverick? So a year and a half. And it's like, I mean, it's going to be with us for 
as long as it works, which is hopefully for, you know, a decade or two. So it once you have it, you have it. And that's kind of the nice thing. So um, I think we're kind of coming up on time here. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, I think we really did a good job of trying to touch on, on most of the questions. Um, I don't know if there's anything that, that you saw that you wanted to maybe touch on quickly, but if not, like, yeah, um, there was, a, I think we had a couple questions on reverse T3. If we have a little bit of time yeah, yeah I'm to good, chat yeah, about you, that, I think mm-hmm. there's a few on that. That's why I mentioned it, but mm-hmm. okay. So somebody had a question, why won't doctors test reverse T3 and how does it relate to stress in your adrenals? Why can't some people successfully convert T4 to T3? So T4 and T3 are thyroid hormones. Um, Your body creates about 80% T4, about 20% T3. And then the rest of that T3, um, you know, is converted from T4 in different like peripheral sites of your body. So not in your thyroid. So mostly in your liver, Uh, liver is the big spot, um, which is why liver health is very important if you have Hashimoto's. and some in your gut as well, which is important. But so basically reverse T3, it's a metabolite of T4. So instead of T4 converting into the active me- metabolic form of T3, it turns into reverse T3, which basically blocks your thyroid receptors and leads you more into a hypothyroid state. So the reason why I wanted to address this question is oftentimes people will get their blood panel done and not test reverse T3. And they're wondering why their T4, their free T4 looks good, but why their free T3 is not optimal and why they're still experiencing hypothyroid symptoms. And that's when you want to go back to your doctor and say, hey, can you also test my reverse T3? Because if that's elevated, the range for that is around like 11 to 18. If it's above that, um, or it's in that higher end of that range, then you might want to consider yourself having an issue most likely with conversion of T4 to T3. And it's a really, really important metabolic process in the body because again, that active form of T3 is, is what's driving your metabolism. And if it's low, then you're going to have hypothyroid symptoms, even if your doctor says you look good on paper. So it can be elevated. Actually, reverse T3 can be elevated in pregnancy. It's really common in pregnant women with a damaged thyroid specifically because we have such a hard time keeping up with the nutritional and you know mitochondrial needs and thyroid demands of pregnancy. Um, so that's something to be really cautious of if you're pregnant with Hashimoto's is ask for reverse T3 to be on all of your blood work as well so that you can track that and see if it's getting a little bit too high. And then you can do some things to to hopefully um, lessen its elevation if you can't completely stop it. So you see actually reverse T3 high in non-Hashimoto's patients as well, especially in starvation diets, um, Mm. people with eating disorders or chronic disordered eating or low calorie eaters. Um, And then you see it, you know, in people with Hashimoto's, you'll see it elevated for those very same reasons as well, which is why not dieting (laughs) is really, really important for optimal thyroid function, which is, again, why I wanted to come back to this question, because I really think this affects so many more women than we know. Um, And again, that T4 to T3 conversion, it happens in the liver and the gut. So any sort of liver dysfunction or gut dysbiosis, it's going to impact that conversion. So treating thyroid is not just treating the thyroid glands, like it affects every single gland and functioning your body. So um, a lot of people with Hashimoto's have sluggish livers and working on a really, really gentle opening of the liver. So detoxification of the liver can certainly help your T4 to T3 conversion um, and help you, you know, reverse some of those hypothyroid symptoms. This is why the thyroid is never just about the thyroid. A lot of root causes have to do with the adrenal glands. A lot of root causes have to do with the liver. 
and a lot of root causes have to do with the gut. So treating and improving thyroid function isn't just about focusing on the thyroid, and that is why we are obviously are so passionate about holistic health. Um, and with most autoimmune conditions, it's never just about whatever glands being affected. It is, it's a two-part, well, you know, I always think of it as like a three-pillar process where it's your, your adrenals and cortisol and stress. It's your, your ability to detoxify and process, and that's the liver and the gut. And it is also, you know, gut is a separate pillar altogether because of it's, it's also a detoxification, you know, organ, a pathway. But that is where your immune system lives. So if you, anything's going wrong there, if you have inflammation, if you have leaky gut, if your, your diet is more inflammatory and it's impacting your, your gut microbiome, that's going to throw everything off too. So really treating thyroid issues has to be, you know, (laughs) a holistic, a, a holistic process. And it may seem overwhelming, but it can be done. Um, and there are a lot of things that you can do, obviously, naturally, and all the things that we talked about today, like with without having to see a specific functional medicine practitioner. But if you get to a place where you're really hung up, and you can't, you know, you've, you've tried things, and it's you're your numbers haven't improved, that's where doing a, like very specific testing and really figuring out the, the where the imbalance is can be helpful. Um, and it, it, you know, it's a long process. I think I mentioned too in our Facebook group, like we're still trying to figure out what's going on with my husband and it's been two years. So we've, we've treated the cortisol issues. We treated the hormonal issues and he, he may have like a gene snip that, doesn't detoxify estrogen properly or something. But I mean, we've done the liver things and we've even looked at markers to see if like, okay, is there something wrong with the pituitary gland? And thus far, that's come back fine too. So sometimes it's just, it's overwhelming and it's a lot and you just got to keep pressing forward and trying to figure out what's going on and have a good team that helps you, you know, continue to search. So yeah. Um, Okay. Now, (laughs) have we talked long enough? I know. I'm like, Are oh, we I have like 12 more things I could say, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to respect your time. I know you have kids that need you and um, you need to get away from your screen. And so do I. So hopefully everybody uh, finished their coffee up because I said this was going to be a nice long coffee date. And maybe you got some lunch in there, too. It was fun hanging out. And of course, it's always fun hanging out with you, Elena, um, especially when we can talk in real time. It's just so much fun. Um but where can more people find out more about you and where where are you living these days? Because um, as we've mentioned many times on this podcast, Instagram is one of those things that's usually has become can be uh, not so great for your, your adrenal function and and thyroid health. So um, a lot of us are, you know, trying to figure out how to manage our life with social media and, and incorporate it in positively. And I know you've intentionally take it took taken 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 a step back um but where where are you kind of living and providing information and, and where can people find more about you yeah i'm glad you clarified because so i was like florida <laughs> <laughs> living in sunny florida uh, specifically in the zip code um so gosh where can you find me now guys email i actually really enjoy email now like take it yeah. back old school to like you know two 
2003. But you can find me on email, which you can find my email on my website and also on my Instagram. So I like to communicate more one-on-one. Um, you can still DM me on Instagram. I have my Instagram story replies off just to respect my boundaries and time. And with two little ones at home, I don't want to have my phone in front of my face all the time. But I still um, post on Instagram stories um, as much as I can and I try to put new recipes up on the blog again when I can. Being a mommy is number one for me at the moment. So I try to, you know, put some helpful content out there in my spare time. Um, but really, a lot of my focus these days is educating on a non-toxic or lower toxin lifestyle because I've seen how much that impacts people with autoimmune disease and how it's really such a big part of the solution for so many of us. So that's kind of where I'm educating a lot on now. Yay. Well, thank you so much for um, providing all this information and your personal experience. It's taken years and years to get to where you are um, in your level of knowledge. And I'm so thankful that I have you in my life and that you are um, now everybody listening has you in their life as well. And that this episode will hopefully be a resource for friends and family. And if you if you're listening and you have somebody in your life who is dealing with thyroid issues, please send them this episode and, and it can change their life. So thank you, Elena. I love you. Love you, too. All right. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Of course, if you want to get on Facebook, find our Facebook group. It's the Well-Fed Women Holistic Health Community. That's where I asked all of you for questions for today's episode. Thank you to everybody who did submit their questions. I really appreciate your feedback and for, you know, just being involved and helping us shape these episodes. So love you guys. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>